Good morning again. Good seeing all of you, and I, I want to thank Gary uh, and the worship team, particularly Gary, but um, Jackson was supposed to do worship today, and then he got sick, and Gary, I don't think you even knew for sure you were coming here until, I don't know where Gary went, but, uh, but yeah, there you are. <laughs> I don't think you knew until late afternoon and, uh, and got some songs together, and and Tawan uploaded them, and, uh, and so, you know, Tawan's taking this first quarter just to rest and uh, spend some time with uh, his dad and family and uh, his own voice box, and, and then Jackson got sick, and I'm like, Gary can't get sick on top of this, because, uh, you know, we're down to like third, uh, you know, all three of these guys are talented, but thank you for Nettie and Montel, and uh, just, uh, just a blessing to worship, and, and I'm really grateful th this morning um, uh, last Sunday we had so much going on, but I've got my older brother Bob on the front row here, uh, and, yeah. <laughs> and Montel's my younger brother. I remember when you and I were unsaved, he was the only saved brother in our family, and, uh, and he was probably praying for us, and so if you see him, he's just, he looks way older than me, because he is way older than me, so, um, uh, so... <laughs> I'm, I'm in the middle of Montel and him, but um, but this it's just uh, those of you that um, you know have unsaved family members. It's great when the whole family gets saved, right? Yeah. And and all of you worship together. And he lives part in Alabama, part in uh, Florida. And so him and Robin, uh, my sister-in-law, have been helping all week with uh, our mother, uh, Montel and my and Bob's mom. You know. Uh, Aging parents, you, you, you have things that need help with, and so he's been a great help this week, and things that uh, I couldn't get to and Montel couldn't get to, and it's been a big, big help. So uh, and many of you know what that's like in your family. But it's good to be here this morning. We had a great, uh, a great first service, and welcome to you visitors. We clapped for you and everything. I did, I don't, sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. You're extra special today, so, uh, so you had people that really are glad you're here. We're glad you're here with us. Those of you joining online, uh, good to have you as well. And there's a lot of people sick, and there's a lot of sickness going around. Uh, speaking of that, and I am not, I don't think I've, I, I've, if you see me drinking this up here, it's not a Starbucks. Uh, it, this is ginger tea, caffeine-free, because I definitely don't need any more caffeine, but it's lemon ginger tea, and so, uh, but all week I've had allergies, and, uh, and then it was a head cold, then it was allergies, I, and then now it's both, and so, uh, but uh, I feel a lot better this morning than yesterday, and uh, so my voice box, I'm hoping at first service, I didn't really need to sip on it, in between I did, but uh, if you see me grab it, it's not a Starbucks, don't get jealous or anything like that, uh, it's just tea, there's no sugar in it, nothing, it's just for the voice, but um, a couple of things uh, before we get into the word, uh, I saw Leah Zacher back there, way in the back. Everybody's glad you guys made it safely from India. Just the trip alone uh, is a long trip, and with little kids, you guys are incredible. Uh, to do that trip as is, is, uh, well as you do it, but uh, we've been praying for them, and you guys know that uh, their little daughter is, uh, is home with Jesus, and they will get to see her someday, but we get to love on y'all for however long you're here till I think, right around Easter time frame, and I know they've got some trips down south to uh, Mississippi and other places, but we're so glad y'all are back. We've been praying for you. We continue to pray, and we're thankful for uh, the work the Lord's doing there in India, all the people you guys have been training up and just seeing the pictures of uh, 
the other missionaries that have been uh, trained there. And uh, Jonathan Krauss, I talked to him uh, via email. Um, just so you know, his, the, the first, uh, he, he was a witness in that trial, and it went really, really well, uh, at least on his part. He's just sad to see people as greedy and just non-caring about children that they, you know, they, they sabotage and shut down an entire child uh, center there with all those orphans that don't have a home now, and it just breaks his heart. But he's in another small village and preaching the gospel today, and uh, so he just wanted you guys to know he thanks you so much for your support. I know Global Frontiers and Lee and Zach thank you for their support. And then John, uh, since texting with him the night of the earthquake, I have not heard from him. I think he jumped on a plane, went straight to the Middle East, and most of the places he's at, there's no cell coverage or anything. So uh, I'll hear back from him when he resurfaces, uh, but I know he has got his hands full uh, just ministering to people there in Turkey and Syria. We're over 40,000 have now died. Uh, last I saw it could be higher. Than, last I saw it was 40-some thousand people, which makes it the deadliest uh, disaster in Turkey's modern history. We don't really have any kind of natural disaster histories in America like that. So um, just continue to pray, and thank you for your support for all three of these ministries and these uh, missionaries. And then uh, as we pray for revival, which we've been doing for a long, long time, We'll also be praying for the nation of Cambodia this morning. So every week we just add a different country. Today it'll be Cambodia that we'll be praying for. But um, as we've been praying for revival, I wanted to put this up. Uh, Charles Spurgeon uh, preached a message on revival uh, in 1874. And uh, I put it up here, uh, January 11th, 1874. And it was just his prayer and his desire. And what the outworking of revival would look like, he said, we desire to see the Spirit of God working more mightily in the church, we long, each one of us, to be more completely subject to his influences and more filled with his power so that we may be full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit, which we'll be looking at this morning, to be poured out upon those who have him not, upon the dead in sin that they may be quickened, upon the desponding that they may be consoled, upon the ignorant that they may be illuminated, and upon seekers that they may find him who alone is our peace. And you see the other quote there. When the Lord grants revival, uh, it doesn't happen just inside the church, but outside the church. And the, and the people begin to ask, what is God doing? And I mention all that to say, you know, uh, revival really does start in the church, but it spills outside of the church. If you recall in Pentecost, where did the Holy Spirit fall first? It fell in the upper room where the disciples were gathered together. They had been in a 10-day prayer meeting. The Spirit fell on them first. That's why the clothes of fire were upon the believers. They were already saved, but they got immersed by the Holy Spirit. They got baptized by the Holy Spirit. Then Peter stands up to preach, and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Then 3,000 people get saved. If the Holy Spirit falls on us in revival, you won't have to worry about divine appointments. You will be witnessing to people. You will be inviting people. You will be having conversations. You will be a light. So that revival starts first in the household of God. And so uh, you guys have been hearing about what's going on over in Kentucky and Asbury uh, College. And uh, I wouldn't say it's a revival yet, but I know it's a stirring. And here's how I know. How many of you would be willing to come here for the next nine straight days and worship and just move your schedule no Netflix, no nothing, no, just come here and worship. I bet a lot of people in this room say, I, I, I don't really want to do that. But when you all of a sudden are just like, all of a sudden the Spirit is so 
drawing you. You're like, I, I just want to worship and, and praise the Lord. And so that's happening. And when I was in college, I didn't want to step foot in a church. So uh, th- these young people, the fact that they are being drawn uh, to worship like that, and many of them on their knees, and it's just a blessing to see. And um, I thought it was interesting. And Pastor Greg Laurie, who has helped you know, produce this Jesus Revolution film, and, uh, and by the way, Gary got saved in the whole Jesus Revolution. Up here in the, on the guitar, that's why he's got that cool vest and everything. Yes, so uh, he, got sa- yeah, there, he got saved in the Jesus Revolution. So we, we've got, and some of you did as well, and I'm kind of like a byproduct downstream. I, I got to serve in two Harvest Crusades uh, and just be a volunteer in the Crusades that Greg has done in, in different places. And, uh, but at any rate, uh, this movie, uh, it kind of coincides its release with what's going on with these college campuses is that has now broken out at Lee University and Samford University. And, and these c- colleges, they need revival. They, they, they have dead religion. They have many professors who are lost. They have many s- kids there who are lost. Uh, so revival begins in the household of God. And so uh, don't nitpick it unless it starts doing false things. And if it does false things, that's a different story. But so far, I've seen nothing false. And I know some godly men who have already been there and say, no, no, what's happening? This is the real deal. People are repenting and and when people start repenting and turning from sin, uh, that's a really good thing. And I hope that God uses that, the college campuses, I, what he does here, the Jesus Revolution film, all of it to bring about revival, not only here but around the world. It's something we've been praying for a long time, and if it, God does it, I don't care where he starts it, uh, how he does it, I just hope he does it in our lifetime, amen? And so just keep praying. praying for, I've been praying for these college kids that, that uh, God just saves entire campuses, and it was spread to public universities, like the University of Alabama and Auburn and, you know, uh, and Kentucky, it's in Kentucky, but I was thinking Sanford's in Alabama and things like that, but all over. VCU could use it, UVA could use it, University of Richmond could use it. All of our public schools in this county could use a revival, amen? And so, um, and, I, and when I see people of the world hating on it, then I know that's a pretty good thing, you know, because I've actually seen, uh, you know, people that, you know, don't like the Lord, you know, calling it disgusting. I'm like, that's disgusting. If you watch the news, you want to talk about disgusting. Uh, it's the thing that are out there. But hey, we've been uh, getting on our knees ever since the pandemic began. We've been praying for revival for over a decade. I know it's a little tight in here. If you're comfortable with it, if you're able to, if your knees can handle it, we're going to get on our knees for about 45 seconds of silence and just go before the Lord, humbling ourselves before the Lord. We'll pray for revival. I'll pray for Cambodia as well. And then we'll get into the word of John chapter 20 together. Let's pray. Father, we once again bow before you. We know that you're worthy. We know that you're mighty. We know that you're holy. 
We know you desire to pour out revival more than we desire that you would pour out a revival. We know you desire to see people saved more than we could ever imagine. We know you desire to change us in this room. We know you desire to transform Calvary Chapel of Richmond. We know you desire to transform every heart in this room, every person watching online. We know, Father, you have a desire that millions of college kids would come and know you as Lord and Savior, and high school kids, and seniors, and middle age, and baby boomers, and all points in between. We pray, Lord, that you would open the eyes of our nation, which is in darkness, uh, which is far estranged from you, Lord, which is depending on things that are just idols uh, of our own making for things that could never give us life. And Lord, we just pray that you would bring the conviction of sin, you would bring in an awakening, it, the revival would begin in the household of God. We pray that what's happening in Asbury would be genuine. We pray that this stirring would become a genuine revival. We pray it would sweep as you swept across revivals in the past that swept across the United States and England and Europe and down through Africa. Lord, I just remember Andrew Murray who pastored for 15 years and Lord, not a single man would go into full-time ministry. Revival came in 29 men in one year uh, raised up to serve the Lord. And so Lord, we know that you can do these things. As Pentecost, 3,000 saved, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. So Lord, we just pray with a mustard seed of faith that you would do that in our midst in our lifetime, and even this year in 2023, that we would see, uh, Lord, people from all walks of life turn to you, and, and even people that would surprise us, we'd never expect it. Lord, we pray for the nation of Cambodia. Lord, we pray for a revival in that nation. We pray that many would come to saving faith. Lord, we may not be woken up thinking about Cambodia, but you did. And all the 8 billion people on earth, you're thinking of them individually. And Lord, we just pray that you would do a great work and plant the church and build the body of Christ there in Cambodia, and that millions would come to know you by faith in that nation. And Lord, we just pray for John and for uh, Miro and for Zach and Lee and for Jonathan and Shiny, just uh, continue to use these servants in the ministries in which they're serving. We pray that many will come to Christ in Turkey and Syria and in India, and Lord, that you would bind the brokenhearted in all of those places, and Lord, that we would use whatever you've given us, our time, talent, and treasure, to be of help to them. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, I mentioned Andrew Murray as I was praying. It just kind of popped in my mind, um, something I thought of earlier. But uh, this is kind of just a fun thing, but it's kind of true. I posted it on my own Facebook page uh, last night. Uh, pastor Joe Edwards Hoff, out, uh, Calvary Chapel pastor out in the state of Washington, he, he had shared it. And then uh, Tony Clark, pastor of Calvary Chapel down in Newport News, reshared it. And then I shared it. And uh, Joe said, um, the truest sign of revival is by how many new children's ministry volunteers there are, <laughs> then you know that the Spirit is moving. So, uh, you know, yeah. Jason was talking about those t-shirts they're giving out. I'll know revival has come when they say we have too many workers in children's ministry. That has never happened, ever here. But we pray that it would. So turn with me to John chapter 20. And we'll pick it up with where we left off, John chapter 20. I'm just going to read the first few verses, and then I want to drop down and read the last two verses, and then we'll fill in uh, the in-between as we go through the study. So if your Bibles are open, and if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We can put one in your hands. John chapter 20, starting with verse 21. So Jesus said to them again, because you remember he said this last week, same night, same setting, actually just 
minutes before. Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father sent me, I also send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them. Jesus is the only person on earth I want to breathe on me. I don't know where that thought just came from. My wife is okay, but nobody else. You know, I, 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 I'm going to digress. Jesus, remember, he put spit in the ground, put it in mud. He's the only one I want to do that. There's just certain things that Jesus can do that I don't want anyone else doing. But here's the good news. No one else can do this. No one else can do what he's about to do. And Jesus breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Drop all the way down to verse 30, and we'll fill in the in-between, as I mentioned, as we go through. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Let's pray again. Father, it's life in your name. It's believing in your name. Lord, we thank you that you breathe the Holy Spirit. We thank you that you bring peace. We thank you that you are peace where there is no peace. Lord, I pray in this room you would permeate it with your peace and your presence and those that are watching online. Those that are sick, you would touch and heal them. Lord, those in this room, you touch and heal. Lord, those that don't know you, you would save. Those that are already saved, Lord, you draw us closer that we'd be immersed by your Spirit. I pray for your help. I pray for your anointing. I pray for your strength. Lord, I could never do your word justice, but I pray that, Lord, you would speak and that we would all be hearing from you, not from me, not from anybody, but the presence of Jesus in his word by his spirit. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. We, all of us here, all of us watching online, we can willingly believe all kinds of things in this life. Things that are true, things that are false, things that are important, things that are really unimportant, things that are accepted as fact and are not. That's like our whole society these days. And really an endless list we can believe in people, we can believe in philosophies, religions, news, information, etc., etc. But then we have Jesus. And to believe in him is not just another decision. Do I want Italian or Mexican? Mountains or beach? No. The decision about Jesus is the decision of a lifetime, of our lifetime, of everyone's lifetime. And to believe him, and to believe in him, is to reject all kinds of other false beliefs. Our soul is and eternity is at stake. As he told Nicodemus, who just three days earlier had wrapped Jesus' body, as he told Nicodemus there in the upper room, in John 3.16, you all know this verse, for God so loved the world, Cambodia, India, Turkey, Syria, California. Yeah, he loves California, for all you know. (laughs) He gave us Gary, you know, many others. 
Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, Jesus came to die, and then three days later, he came to give eternal life. He came forth to give eternal life. And this life that Jesus offers is to anybody, but not to everybody. That doesn't make sense. Yes, it does. Listen. He offers eternal life to anybody, but not everybody will accept it as true. So it's only to those who what? Believe. That's what it says. Those who believe. But to those that do believe, they will receive from Jesus, we will receive from Jesus, his cleansing, his spirit, his promises, and eternity with God the Father. Because this life's just a vapor, isn't it? Believing in Jesus is the only belief that results in redemption. Something moving from one state to another, from guilty to forgiven, that we would receive salvation and righteousness and hope and joy at the very end of this very brief life, we would also receive heaven. There really is a heaven and there really is a hell. It's the whole reason Jesus came. He didn't suffer on the cross for nothing, but to bring us his life, eternal life. The fact is, everything we really need, not want, we have a lot of wants, but everything we really need can only be received in Jesus and through Jesus. So as he appears to his disciples, they're devastated. They're despondent the morning of the resurrection. But now here at the end of the day, as he's appeared to them in this locked shut room, they are glad beyond description. And we'll see Jesus giving to those that believe in him the things that only Jesus can give. If you're taking notes, you see the title again this morning. Believe and receive from the risen Jesus. We left off last week with Jesus suddenly appearing to his confused and frightened disciples. Remember, they were in that room by fear. The doors were shut. It actually means locked. And he came to them with the comforting words. You can see it in your Bibles. We didn't read it this morning, but just go two verses up to verse 19. And he said to them, peace be with you. And then showing them the scars on his hands and his feet and the side, they rejoiced that their Savior was alive. And as we pick up this morning, same room, same setting, just maybe a few seconds after him saying, peace be with you, a few minutes, per se, of touching his side and his hands, same setting, he's still standing there. And he speaks the same opening word to them, again, slightly different, but similar phrase, he now says, peace to you. If Jesus had only come to save his disciples from their sins and from, and from the hell to come and to save their souls, that would be more than enough. If all I get in this lifetime is know that I've been saved and I'm on my way to heaven, that's more than enough if I get nothing else. If all he did was rescue us from our sins and death and Hell, that is our most desperate need, amen? That's our most desperate need. We, we can't resolve that. Only he can. But Jesus did not only save his disciples and us, but he came to establish them. 
I came to Christ. I mentioned when I knew when my brother was saved, me and my younger brother weren't saved. I got saved in 1995, Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, walked forward an aisle. I've never been the same since. But since that time, he's been establishing me because I didn't go straight to heaven. I've had a lot of rough patches. How about the rest of y'all? I've had a lot of times where I wanted to throw in the towel. I've had a lot of times that I've failed miserably. I say, Lord, you got the wrong person. But he's establishing us. Jesus didn't just purchase our salvation the way someone might purchase an antique or some collector's item that you see on TV and they put it in a vault. I can't even afford a vault. So the rest of y'all, if you have stuff like this, great. But, uh, or they put the fine china in glass and no one ever uses it. They just, oh, we just look at it just showcased. No, Jesus came to save and to send, to establish those who have been saved, to give them his presence here on this earth, and to make them living extensions of himself, which is amazing because you and I are not who I would pick to be living extensions of Jesus. Amen? I would have picked something massive like the stars, something that has glory. Now, we also know that Jesus came to serve and to minister. And those that he saved will likewise be called to serve and to minister the night before his death. What was he doing? Washing their feet. We've talked about this quite a bit. Showing them how they were going to serve. Humbly, lovingly, sacrificially, intentionally, willingly, rolling up their sleeves and working. Did you know that serving Christ is not easy? It's hard work. He said, you're going to have to labor in the vineyard. It's not going to be easy. He was showing them it wouldn't be easy. Dirty, I don't want to wash toes. <laughs> but metaphorically, well, it's not what he's called. I don't literally, I'm not literally called to wash people's feet, although some of you in the healthcare profession, stuff, you actually do that stuff. Dr. Russ is a podiatrist. I don't My sister-in-law hates feet, you know, so like, how, how, how in the world? But uh, that's not what he's called us to do specifically, but metaphorically, we are called to get a lot of dirt on our hands and get really low and breathe in things that make it difficult and wash and minister because if Jesus did it, that's what he was telling the 11, because Judas had already left the room, that's what he was telling them they were going to be doing. All of what he demonstrated there in the upper room would be part of their commission and our commission, too. If you go into the military, you know, Jason, who did announcements, he did his 20 years in the Navy. We've got some of you that have done Marine Corps, Army. When you get a commission, you have a set of instructions that you're given. You're not saying, hey, I would like this. No, you have a commission. This is what you'll be doing. And Jesus has given us a commission. He gave them a commission. And he demonstrated the commission there in the upper room and then at the cross, and then he demonstrated his authority with the resurrection. Now, as he's risen, he's now preparing them. He's going to begin to prepare them to place them into their commission. But first, there are some things they're going to need from Jesus to be effective, and there's things we need from Jesus to be effective for him. They cannot engage in the mission because he's not sent them out. He says, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. They cannot engage in the mission until they've been established. If you buy a tree from Lowe's and you keep it in that little plastic thing, a year later, you have a dead tree, right? And I have done this not on purpose, <laughs> with every intention of planting it. 
why did I waste $38.99 and never planted it? But Jesus doesn't do that. He's going to plant us. He's going to establish us. He's going to put us, and the roots start to go in. And we'll look at the essentials of the, uh, that Jesus gives throughout this, uh, the remaining of this 20th chapter. Uh, but back to verse 21 here. Back to verse 21, Jesus said again, Peace to you, as the Father sent me, I also send you. So he says, Peace to you, the second time he says it. Have you ever needed the Lord to tell you peace to you more than once? More than once. Hey, I've got once is enough in my lifetime. He said it to me back in 1974, and I've never needed it since, right? I certainly have. Notice he doesn't say salvation to you. Why? He doesn't say salvation to you because that's already been settled. They're already saved. Their souls have been saved by grace. But the same Jesus who gives salvation is the one and only one who can give peace. He initially said, peace be with you, back in verse 19. And now he says, peace to you. Jesus is the prince of peace. We know that in the book of Isaiah. He's the one and only source of peace. You cannot receive peace without first receiving salvation. Amen? Amen. Salvation, then peace. But we know as disciples, each of them had already been saved. We know they were not at peace when Jesus entered the room. It said they were in the room. We studied this last week. They were in there because of fear. All these saved guys were afraid and not with peace. If you're in this room or you're watching online and you're saved and you said, there's some days this week I have not been at peace, join the club. But then Jesus enters the room, just suddenly appears. You see, it's the presence of Jesus that provided the peace. He's got the words to peace. He's got the provision of peace. It's his presence. If you have no time or place for Jesus, brother and sister, then you have no time or place for peace. It's why he told the disciples four nights earlier, abide in me, abide in me, abide in me. So the reception of his peace is directly related to following and obeying what Jesus says, which flows into what he says next regarding being sent. He says, if the Father sent me, I send you. The provision of peace comes first, then the sending. The salvation's first, then the peace, then the sending. Salvation, peace, Sending in that order. The provision of peace is like wind in our sails and fulfilling the direction and command of Christ. How many think you could do things Jesus asks you to do if he gives you the peace to do it? Yeah, I mean, obviously, if you can have peace in the storm, when I see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing in a fire at perfect peace, you can see how now they had that peace before they went in there because it fortified their faith. But as the Father sent the Son to the world, he's now sending the disciples and us out into the world. We're already here, but we're now being sent into the world. He did not say, peace to you. Now go find a couch and a remote control. <laughs> That's not in there, right? He doesn't say, peace to you. Now find a really comfy place. You need a little private island with little banana drinks, uh, with little umbrellas. That's what you need to live out your life. 
He said, send them in the world. So I thought Antigua would be perfect, you know, whatever. No, that's not what he said. He already told them to deny themselves and take up their cross and follow him. Now, we live in a country that has so much stuff. We open the fridge, and we have to choose. Hmm, do I want that or I want that? And the rest of the world, they have to choose, do I eat or not eat today? But we have so much stuff that we actually have to pay people to help us deny ourselves. And there's all these services out there. We can teach you how to say no to sugar and all this stuff. And the Holy Spirit says, I can teach you. I can teach you how to deny yourself. Take up your cross. But they also can't stay in that locked room forever. Now it's comfortable. They were afraid. Now Jesus has come in. Hey, this is perfect. Let's just stay in this room. Jesus, you don't leave. We don't leave. We all stay here, and we have a perpetual family gathering, and everything out there is somebody else's problem. No. To heed Jesus is to go and to be witnesses of his work and his salvation in their lives. Tomorrow, for all of you here, if, if you are still employed or you still have a job or maybe you are retired and you have errands to run, whatever it is, wherever you go tomorrow, you can know, you can say in your mind and in your heart, I know Jesus has sent me out today to be a light and a witness. Wherever you go, whether it's work, errands, vacation, whatever it may be. You can go on a short-term mission trip and know you are sent by Jesus. We're going to try and go to Guatemala this summer. You know that the Lord is sending us there to do his work. He may call you, as I mentioned in my prayer, Andrew Murray, 29 men or so. And I, if I got the number wrong, it was over 20-something. But I know that he went from zero in 15 years. And all of a sudden, all these men were called to full-time Christian work. Uh, and that happened to Lee and Zach. You guys were called to full-time ministry. And there you are serving India. Pastor Trevor, myself, he may call someone in this room. Uh, he called Moses at 80, so don't think you're too old either. So anybody can be called. Yeah, he could do that. But his peace is interconnected to guiding and taking us from where we're at right now to where he's leading us to. He has a way. He has a path for all of us. And it's out of the locked room. Remember, they're in this room. They're in the room together. It's going to be out of the room and into the fields. I talk about, you know, you know I like sports, so this sanctuary is a sanctuary, but it's also our locker room, and out there is the field. Out there is where we have to put on the equipment and actually do what we did on the chalkboard. Jesus said, all right, this is what I've provided you. Here's the peace. Here's the Holy Spirit. Now you're going to have to go and do it. I love uh, it, John the Baptist's father, Zacharias, in Luke 179, he was prophesying, part prophesy, part worship, part prayer. But he said this of Jesus who was to come as the Messiah, who would soon be born by Mary. He said, to give light to those who sit in darkness. That's all the unsaved people you walk past every day. It's all the people you see that are homeless, that are you know, using crack and meth and all this other stuff and it's all the people that are addicted to sexual things and are addicted to alcohol and are all the different things and people are addicted to violence even you know they love it and they don't even know why they love it all these different things and Jesus said those that that are sitting in darkness and the shadow of death people don't even realize they're under the shadow of death our nation doesn't they people think they'll live forever 
but to guide our feet into the way of peace. Jesus says, you're going to need my peace, peace to you, but I'm going to guide you in a path. I'm going to put your feet on a path of peace. They were on a path of destruction, now they'll be on a path of peace. And the giving of his peace is first in coming to him by faith, and then it's in going by faith to minister to people as his witnesses and as his servants. Back to the feet washing. And just so we all understand, we'll actually be robbed of peace if we resist being sent, if we resist serving, if we resist washing feet, if we resist going and serving as he did, we'll be robbed of peace. Matter of fact, when you start serving other people, you stop thinking about all your problems. Not to say that they're not still there, but you're not fixed on them. You're fixed on ser serving other people. So I say, Lord, as bad as I have it, there's people out there that don't know you as Lord and Savior. I need to minister. Or there's kids that need to be taught. Or there's people that need to be served. Or there's people in hospitals need to be ministered to. All of that. We rob ourselves of peace by saying, I'm just going to stay right here and focus on me. And we'll burn out in doing what he's commanded if he doesn't continually guide us in peace, give us his peace, and give us the help of his Holy Spirit. Now, if we lack peace, and I'm sure somebody in this room does, I, I lack it sometimes, and I say, Lord, I don't even know why I lack peace. I don't even know what I'm concerned with. And I have learned myself, you have to examine where's your abiding and where's your going. Where's your abiding and where is your going? Because we're called to both. We're called to abide in him, but actually be his hands and feet, to wash feet, to go and be sent. So they're both very important. And when we take an inventory and say, Lord, show me why I am un I'm at a place of unrest, we can pause, we can pray, we can press into Jesus. And when that happens, then we can be re-poured out. Because what he pours in, he pours out. Amen? Amen. Then we can have him pour into us, so we're poured out. Verse 22, and he said to them he, uh, this, and he breathed on them, and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. In verse 21, Jesus is given his peace, which only he can give, and then he gives his command to be sent, which is a perfect command, and all the things that Jesus gives are perfect. But here, on this resurrection day, by the end of the resurrection day, so this is late afternoon, early evening, same day of the resurrection, Mary met him in the morning, here he is at the very end of the day, He gives the gift of the helper that he promised four nights earlier in the upper room. And this gift will be given to every single person, whoever believes in Christ, from this point forward. So if someone gets saved today somewhere in the world, they're getting the Holy Spirit immediately. Amen? Amen. These disciples, all of them have already been saved and received grace from the Lord. They've already received the salvation of the Lord by grace. But this breathing of the Holy Spirit is receiving the Holy Spirit. This is a monumental difference between the believers now under Jesus, now post-resurrection, and those who were also saved by faith and grace, such as Moses, David, 
Abraham, Enoch, Noah, all the other saints. And in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, we have a change here of believers now saved under the New Covenant. Now, you might meet some people sometimes say, there's no New Covenant, there's only one Covenant. If they say that, you've got some verses to show them. In the, Old, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon people. You guys have seen it. Samson, his spirit comes upon him. I've always wished I could just take on a thousand men. Just give me the jawbone of a donkey. I mean, who doesn't want to do this? Who doesn't want to have the power to just rip a lion and to shred? Who doesn't want that kind of power? But Samson is one of the few people in the history of the world. He literally had it. God would come upon him, and he had superhuman abilities, but it was only because of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit would come upon him. But the Spirit would come upon men and women. He would come upon Moses, upon David, upon Abraham, upon Deborah the prophetess. He would come upon men and women in the Old Testament, but he was also with the saints in the Old Testament. He was with the children of Israel. Pillar of fire at night, pillar of cloud by day, the presence of the Holy Spirit would just permeate the camp. The Lord would be with them, and he would come upon them in the power of the Spirit. And this was still the case even right up until Jesus goes to the cross. The night before the cross, what did he say? This is how you know there's a difference. Jesus said in John 14, 17, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, no unsaved person, will, no unsaved person can receive the spirit because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. That was four nights earlier. He says, right now he's with you, but he's going to be in you. This has not happened until right here. The finished work of Christ on the cross, we know it tore the veil in two, right? You got the veil? Jesus dies. It's finished. It just rips down. We know it would have taken a team of oxen pulling in both directions to even fray it. But it just slices right down the middle. It parts ways. And as he told the disciples in Matthew 26, 28, which we remember when we take the Lord's Supper and we do communion, we, we read this passage, for this is my blood of the new covenant. So if anyone tells you, there is not a new covenant, Jesus would say, well, either I'm right or you're right. And I'll, I'll go with Jesus. How about you? He says there's a new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. The shed blood of Jesus did what all the animal sacrifices, all the bulls, all the goats, all the sheep, even though all of those pointed to the Lamb of God, it did what none of those things could accomplish. All those things were necessary and pointing to the need of forgiveness by the blood. But not only would, when Jesus shed his blood and said it is finished, not only would it then give access to all that belonged to God to come into the Holy of Holies, which was only reserved for the high priest once a year, through Jesus, but not only could we come into the Holy of Holies, but the Holy Spirit would come into us. We go into the Holy of Holies, but the Holy Spirit comes into us, into the heart of each believer. And this began 
first with the apostles, as Jesus breathed on him, them, he breathed first on the apostles. And then the other disciples, they also received the Holy Spirit, same time, same place, but first the apostles, then the other. Uh, remember that the women, they had seen Christ first in the morning. They were the first one to see Christ at the tomb, and then he appears to give the indwelling of the Holy Spirit first to the apostles, just like he gave his first appearance to these women. It seems like he gives the breathe in the Holy Spirit first to the apostles, but then to all the other disciples, which includes the women disciples and all the other unnamed disciples, not just the 11. At any rate, the Spirit of God now resides in them. The Spirit was with them, but is now in them. And it's an amazing thing. You can be saved and sometimes you feel like, I don't feel like the Spirit is in me. You ever felt that way? You're like, right now I just want to get even. And uh, I am not feeling the Holy Spirit. Right now I want to eat 12 donuts. And I don't think God would do that. You know, I, I just want to do what I want to do. Like, I, I, right now I don't feel like doing anything. Nothing. I don't feel like encouraging anyone. I don't feel like thanking anybody. I don't feel like doing anything. And God's like, that's not my spirit. That's your spirit. But my spirit is reminding you that that's not my spirit, and that's how you know you have my spirit. <laughs> Glad I'm not the only one that's ever felt that way before. But, um, but the spirit was with them, but now is going to be in them. And on Pentecost, the Spirit will come upon them. And Pentecost, when it comes, 40 days after, or 50 days after Jesus rose there, but in a similar manner, it will be broader than the way the Spirit came upon saints individually in the Old Testament. Although He came with power and He came upon the saints, it will be an immersion, it will be a baptism of men and women that are already saved, or in some cases they got saved that very day and they received the indwelling and the baptism at the exact same time. But in the case of the apostles, they're already saved, they already have the indwelling, and they receive the immersion of the Spirit, which is both an individual thing, and God immerses, baptizes the whole church, the bride, if you will, is baptized as individuals are all baptized. I don't have time to get into all of that this morning, but we know that the baptism of the Holy Spirit would be for the work of evangelism and power and ministry, that there would be a power as we go into the world. And so that'll be coming as well. But uh, here though, when he breathes on them the Holy Spirit, what they're receiving is the indwelling, permanent presence and work of the Spirit. It's the seal of the Spirit. Like your names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you have the seal of the Holy Spirit according to the Scriptures. And you have the continuous help of the Holy Spirit now if you've been saved. It's why Jesus calls the Spirit the Helper. That We get His help because He is, that's one of His specific names, is the Helper. And He said in John 14, 26, up on the screen, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. He's going to help us remember things. He's going to help us remember a verse when we need it. He's going to help us to remember a person that we forgot to pray for. He's going to help us to remember what Jesus said. He's going to help us to remember what the Scriptures themselves say. Starting with the apostles, uh, we now have the Spirit of God living in us, prompting us, giving us a desire to read God's Word. 
giving us an understanding as we read his word, giving us a desire to pray. I've met many people who say they're unsaved. I've talked to them. I've tried to share with them. They say, well, I don't understand anything the Bible says. I say, if you can understand the gospel, I promise you, once you come to Christ, you'll start to understand the things you can't understand. I've met people that I didn't know when they were saved. Pastor Trevor, I remember when he was not saved. Ten years later, I see them teaching what they said they could never understand. Marking up their Bible, helping other people mark up their Bible. I'm like, hold on, you told me you couldn't understand this. What happened? Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit happened upon their life, in their life. It changes. So people that say, I can't understand any of this, it's all Greek to me, blah, blah, blah. All of a sudden, they can teach it, understand it. Not, not every single thing. There's things that none of us will ever understand this lifetime. That makes the, the, one of the many reasons that God is so much above us. But he gives us an understanding of his word. He gives us a desire to pray. He prompts and convicts us to pray. And then, the, then when we say in our minds, I don't really feel like praying at all, it's the Holy Spirit says, now you know you need to pray. That's when you need to pray. It's this prompting of the Spirit that's actually speaking to our flesh, which is always opposed to the Spirit. It's the Spirit that gives us a love and care for people we would otherwise never care for. The apostles would never, you know, we talked about Philip a few weeks ago, he would never go to Samaria. They hated the Samaritans, but the Holy Spirit says, you're going to love Samaritans now. You're going to love people that look different than you, that talk different than you, act different than you, different culture than you. I actually love people all around the world that I've not even met, and I really do. I pray for them, but I know that that's the Holy Spirit because my family can tell you, I didn't even care about my family before I got saved. I'll see you all in 10 Christmases from now, you know, whatever. But I, I got other things to do. But the Holy Spirit will give you a desire and a conviction of sin and a desire to share your faith and a desire to invite people to church and things that you just don't have. And then if none of those things are there, then you have to wonder, is the Spirit there? Because it says in Romans 8, 9, now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. If there's no Holy Spirit, there's no salvation. Because salvation first, Spirit comes with it. You and I could never live the Christian life apart from grace and the help of the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen on that? Grace and the help of the Holy Spirit. There's not like some of you uh, in this room are just extra awesome. The guy's like, you don't, you don't even need my Spirit because you have so much to offer the world, and you're just so mentally tough and so physically gifted and all the other stuff. You don't need my grace or the help of the Holy Spirit. Some people do think that for a while, and then life catches up with them. And then they realize, can you give me what you guys were talking about? And that's what we hope will happen with the revival. People realize, I actually need the Lord. I can't, I'm not a self-made person. I didn't make my own kidneys. I didn't make my own millions or whatever else. I do need the help. Of the Lord. I don't know where kidneys came from, but it, there it was. But <laughs> as Jesus said uh, in the upper room, apart from Him, we can do absolutely nothing. Verse 23, after the giving of the Spirit, uh, Jesus gives this other command and instruction. He says, uh, If you forgive the sins of any, uh, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. This, this verse has been really misunderstood. Uh, in the history of the church has been misapplied. He is not telling the disciples that they have the power to forgive anyone's sin. I cannot walk up to someone and say, hey, uh, tell me about your life. And they say, uh, I've done this. You're forgiven. I have forgiven you. All taken care of. You don't even need to say apologize to anybody. You are forgiven. Done deal. Um, 
This command is in the context of their roles as ambassadors of the gospel. And we all have a role as ambassadors for Christ. Uh, it's better understood that they're representatives of Jesus. They're just passing along the good news, which is the same thing we do with the gospel. If and as they preach the gospel, they can assure people who hear the gospel that their sins can be forgiven if they respond to the gospel. Does that make sense? I'm just simply telling So if I meet someone and they say, if you knew what I did, God would never forgive me. I'd say, I don't care what you've done. God can forgive you and will forgive you if you'll believe on his son Jesus. Well, I don't know if that's true. If, you, if I tell you the list of things I've done, there's no way God would forgive me. I'm like, I promise you, if I can show you in the Bible that people just as bad as you have already been saved, you can be forgiven. That's the gospel. Say, you can be forgiven of anything. I can't forgive you, but I can tell you how you can be forgiven. And that's what we're doing. We're just kind of passing along uh, that information or that truth. If they don't go, though, Jesus said to go as the Father sent me, I've sent you. If they don't go, the disciples, if they stay in the room and don't go and share the forgiveness of sins and proclaim the forgiveness of sins, then many souls will remain in their sin. So if they don't do the work of ambassadors, then this news is not getting out. Then people will re retain their sins. He's not telling them they have the power to forgive sins. He's not telling them to start building confessionals and just invite people, come to the confessional, tell me everything you did. Oh, you're in the mafia? You want to do it again tomorrow? Fine, no problem. That's not what he's saying. He's saying... Go and share that I have forgiven sins and many people will be released and forgiven. Let's look at verse 24 through 29. Uh, Thomas here. Now Thomas called the twin. We didn't read this passage. I skipped over it at the beginning for the sake of time. Now Thomas called the twin. Uh, it's believed that Thomas had a twin, um, but he himself what is one of the apostles. Uh, his twin would have not been a, uh, an apostle. We don't know if he's a follower or anything like that, but Thomas, one of the twins, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. Therefore the other disciples said to him, we have seen the Lord. He said to them, his good friends, his co-laborers, unless I see his hands in the print of his nails and put my finger into the print of his nails and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them and Jesus came, the doors being shut, and he stood in the midst as Jesus suddenly appears, poof. He's all of a sudden there again, and he says a familiar refrain here, peace to you. And he said to Thomas, he turns and looks at Thomas, reach your finger here and look, in, look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Aren't you glad that Jesus is not just the Lord and the God, which he is, but is he your Lord and your God? Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. At the end of the day of the resurrection, so uh, at the end of that day, Jesus appeared to the disciples, but for some unknown reason, Thomas wasn't there at that end of the day, which is in the previous verses, because this is eight days later. He wasn't there at the, end of the, at the end of that day. For whatever reason, he wasn't there. We don't know. 
But just like the apostles were with the women, remember the women said, we've seen the Lord, and they said, no, you haven't. I'm paraphrasing. They didn't say that, but they said, we don't believe you. Just like they didn't believe the women, Thomas doesn't believe the women or the apostles. Thomas says, I can do one better. I believe none of y'all. <laughs> Until I see it myself. He, re- he has to see him for himself or he refuses to believe. We can all relate to Thomas's skepticism, can't we? I got some of my daughters here. I, they know that I, I'm like, I need a screenshot to know you did this. I need, the, I, need the, I need the confirmation number. Unless I see the confirmation number, there's not a confirmation number. That's the kind of way I'm kind of bad like that sometimes. Uh, is anyone else like that? Like, I need to see it for myself. Now, that's okay with confirmation numbers and reservations and did the bill get paid and all that kind of stuff. But this is, they were telling him, Thomas, Jesus is risen. We've all seen him. And he's saying, no, you didn't. Unless I see it, I can't believe it. He had this skepticism, this unbelief. But understand, this is what's different than Thomas and say, well, then what, does, does this make Thomas unsaved? No. Here's the difference. Understand that in the sovereignty of God, all of the apostles were commissioned as eyewitnesses. He's an eyewitness but hasn't yet personally witnessed Jesus. Does this make sense? You could not be an apostle. All the apostles would receive power to do miracles. Which, by the way, if someone walks around calling themselves an apostle, to ask them, hey, can you go heal some wardens, wards of people at Johnson Willows? They'll say they can't. You'll say, all right, just checking. Anyway, um, <laughs> but the apostles could go do miracles because they were empowered with the Holy Spirit. They had seen Jesus personally. It wasn't secondhand. All the apostles had to be eyewitnesses. In the sovereignty of God, Thomas has to see Jesus. He doesn't even know he has to see Jesus. He thinks he must see Jesus, and Jesus is like, not only do you need to see me, not only do you want to see me, you must see me or you can't be an apostle. You can't be one of the 12 sent. And Paul will be one born out of time. Paul says, and I have also seen the Lord. He says that later. So he becomes the 12. But all the apostles had to see Jesus personally. So Thomas has to see him anyway to be an eyewitness. But Thomas was already saved before this because Jesus said in John 17, I've not lost a single one of them except for Judas, the son of perdition. So he was already in Christ And so because of that, he already believed by faith and had already been saved. Jesus deals gently with him. And here's the encouragement for you and I. You might fully believe in Jesus, but still have pockets of unbelief that God is still dealing with. Amen? I don't mean related to the resurrection or the... But like, uh, but Jesus, I don't believe you could use me to do that. And God's like, we're going to stay here until you realize I can use you to do that. Our pockets are areas of unbelief. But Jesus deals gently with him. He deals graciously with him. The messianic proverb, uh, um, messianic psalm about Jesus in Psalm 45, 2, it says, grace is poured upon your lips. This is Jesus' lips. He has grace on his lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. And Jesus speaks to us with these gracious lips, and he speaks to Thomas, and he says, Thomas, put your hand in here. All your friends were not lying to you. Touch here, touch here, touch here. You're going to be one of the apostles. I know you love me but you have desperately wanted to see for yourself. And Jesus arrives these eight days later. And in that grace, again, he says for the third time, peace to you, peace to all of them, but specifically to Thomas. Thomas, he turns, peace to everybody, but he really zeroing in on Thomas, put your hand in here, and he gently admonishes him. Now, God's not going to let us, if we have pockets of 
unbelief, he's not going to let us stay there. Amen? Amen? He's not okay with it. Let me be clear. He's not okay with Thomas in this place, but he's dealing gently with it to gently correct his unbelief. And if you say, well, I don't really believe that God could use me to witness anyone, that has to stop. You have to say, Lord, I believe I can be used in any situation because you have no limits. Amen? Amen. So God's not happy with that. He's not going to leave him there, but he's also dealing gently with him. And so he tells him to put his side, a hand on his side. And Thomas finally believes just like the others and seen. Remember, they all had the opportunity to see Jesus personally. So Thomas is like, hey, you all got to see him personally. Why wouldn't I get a chance? You know, I, I was part of this group. I was part of the one feeding the 5,000 and all that good stuff. So I kind of understand where he's coming from. But Jesus nevertheless admonishes him but does do it gently. Um, and then he's, he worships. He says, my Lord and my God. He's absolutely convinced that Jesus is Lord and Jesus is God. And we believe, we believe in the witness of Jesus. We believe in the witness of the apostles. We today, as we finish this, we want to look at this uh, importance of the word believe, verse 30 and verse um, 31. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you may have life in his name. Hold on, one quick. I made it all the way to here. There we go. All right. Uh, my scratchy voice now. And it's, but it's on, this, um, it's on this line of believing that John closes this 20th chapter, kind of closes this particular scene, a summation of his purpose in writing all the details related to the death and resurrection of Jesus, and in fact, his entire life and ministry as a whole. He says clearly that many other signs were done that could have been written. Many other things that were done that weren't even recorded by John or in any of the Gospels, as far as we know. We know this is true from John chapter 21, verse 25. But everything that has been written, John says, everything I've written, everything I have told you in this letter, in this gospel, in this, um, this eyewitness account, is that souls that are willing to believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Savior, and that by believing in his name, anyone that's willing to not believe just about him, but in him, would have eternal life. Some people might say, and I, there's a, there's a former colleague when I was in corporate America, I've been witnessing to him for years. I won't mention him by name, maybe he watches one time, but you know, I've, I've been talking to him for years, and he's told me on more than a few occasions, I need more than the Bible to believe. Folks, you're not getting more than the Bible. Not in this life, Lord. I don't care if Congress disagrees with it. I don't care if the president disagrees, and he certainly doesn't half the time. I don't care who disagrees with it. You're not getting more than the Bible in this lifetime. This is it, and it's powerful. Amen? Amen. Growing up in the 70s, my brother can attest to this, if you said, at least in our house and lots of other homes in the 70s, I don't like what's for dinner. <laughs> I'd like something else. You could sit for days. <laughs> and 
finally come to the realization that your hunger would only be satisfied by eating what was put in front of you. I don't like peas. So what? <laughs> Our parents did us a favor. Today's parents, well, I'll, I'll order Uber for you. I'll get you a Domino's. I'll take you to Outback. Whatever it takes. And we wonder why they have no ability right, right, right. whatsoever to say, it's not about me and what I want. But actually, God telling you you're not going to get anything about the Bible is about you. He's saying, this is the only thing that's going to save you. If you want another fairy tale that exists out there, you can have it, but you can't have eternal life there. And I learned that as I sat there and ate, I was actually nourished. And eventually, I liked the things I didn't like. And I, as I devour the Word of God, God says, this is exactly what you need and I'm not asking for your opinion. I'm giving you what you need. Amen. For not just for salvation, but post-salvation. What God has given us is perfect. You can believe that there should be more than 24 hours a day, but God is not going to change it for us. It's still going to be 24. You can believe that there's better things than the Ten Commandments. He's not changing them. These are it. We have zero ability to change what God has said. And he will not be modifying, he will not be adding to, he will not be amending his word, he will not be changing the gospel that presents Jesus as the only way of salvation and heaven and God the Father. Amen? Amen. Vance Havner said, and it's still true, the word of God is either absolute or obsolete. And guess which one it is? It's absolute. And we know because it's the only thing that's transforming lives. It's transforming people that were atheist, agnostic, Muslim, Hindu, Jehovah's Witness, Mormon, you name it, I can show you people who have been radically changed because of the gospel. Amen. It's absolutely true. And it comes down to whether a person will believe and receive from Jesus his forgiveness, his salvation, his peace, his assurance, his presence, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I personally have never seen, I've never touched Jesus' physical scar hands. Have you? Only some televangelists, and I don't know who they are, but uh, I have never done that. I've never done this. I have never touched. But because of the written word, I've come to believe every single word in this Bible. Whether I understand it all or not, and I put my full faith and trust in Christ, I know he's touched me. I know he's changed me. I know he's reversed the way I think about things. He's transformed my life by his grace and his mercy. Do you have this? And if you believed in Jesus, are you receiving from him? Is your belief growing deeper? Are you taking steps of faith? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you that you've given us the truth. Jesus, you're full of grace and truth. You're so gracious, you'd forgive anybody of anything, but you're so truthful, you will not change the only way of salvation. It's unchangeable. But Lord, those that receive and believe, or those that believe in you and receive your mercy and receive your grace and receive your gift of salvation, Lord, we are changed even though you are unchanging. We are radically changed. We are eternally changed. And Lord, we are so grateful for so great a salvation. Lord, uh, even before we close this service, Lord, if there's even one person here who's still trusting in something false, who's still trusting in themselves, who's still trusting that they're going to live forever when we know that that's only found in Christ, or Lord, uh, they don't believe this is true, but maybe now they do. Maybe at this point you have pricked the heart and you've convinced someone who did not believe to put their faith and trust in you. If there's even one person here this morning, just raise your hand. I want to pray with you. If there's someone who says, I, I came here 
not believing that Jesus is the only way to heaven, the only way to my salvation, but I want to put my faith and trust in him. If there's anyone at all, just raise your hand. I want to pray with you. I don't want to assume that everyone here is ready for eternity. Two Sundays ago, 40-some thousand people in Turkey and Syria had no idea it would be their last moments on earth. No idea. We could have an earthquake like the one that hit uh, 17 or 1800s in Charleston, South Carolina. We could have one on this side of the country, believe it or not, that could kill 40, 50, 60,000 people. And you would be shocked, but it's happened in history. People have no idea when they're la- they, the kids of Michigan State, they had no idea, just a normal night, that somebody would take their life. If there's anyone here at all, I, I'm not saying this is scary. I'm just saying the reality is we don't have, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're only guaranteed this very moment. Today is the day of salvation. Anyone at all, just raise your hand. I want to pray with you. If there's anyone that says, I, I want to give my life to Christ, I don't want to put it off. I don't want to wait any longer. I want to receive his mercy and grace. If we're all saved here, I pray that you would draw nearer to Jesus. Listen to his spirit. Why don't you stand as we close in worship?